We are going through Colossians together as a church. We started last week with the, uh, the first chapter, and um, each week we're going to cover a chapter. And so I'd encourage you, if you're a member of River City Church, go through it with us. Um, it's an incredible book. There's so much of what we believe as Christians covered in, you know, just four chapters, just four chapters of the Bible. And I'd really encourage you to do it. And one thing that, you know, has really become clear as we've talked about, um, you know, what, what to speak on on Sunday and what God might be doing, you know, it's this idea that the scriptures, we believe as a church, we believe that the scriptures are, are true. We believe that the scriptures are the best place to be able to go to find out the pattern of God, to find out the way that God works. Typically, it's, it's the way that the Spirit speaks to us. He brings the Scriptures alive in us. And so we as a church, we absolutely believe that the Bible is true, that the Bible is authoritative, that the Bible is where we go to to find out if, you know, is this the Spirit moving or, you know, did I have bad yogurt? You know, like, I almost said yoga berry, but Paul, I don't want to... Did I have something bad? You know, like what, what, it's the authority that I go to. I go and I look at the Bible and I say, is this, is this true? Is this from God? Does this jive with what I know to be true? Because I absolutely know this to be true about God. And we also believe it's essential to being thoroughly equipped, to being thoroughly equipped to be able to go and to do the good works that God has called us. We need to go to the scriptures because that's where we learn about God. We experience him. It's where the spirit speaks to us. It's where we can really experience him. And so all of that to say that we're going through Colossians together. Today we're going to be doing Colossians 2. And I just want to pray and hope that all of this comes out in a way that is ministering. So let's pray. God, um, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have revealed so much of who you are and who we are um, in your word. And we pray that right now, I pray that uh, this talk would minister to us, that you would speak through your word this morning, that your spirit would come and make this alive in us, that you would bring freedom, that you would bring life, that you would bring all of the things that Jesus has promised to bring, all of the things that we know that, that are on Jesus's heart for us. We pray for that this morning in Jesus' name. Just a little bit of the, of the background. Um, you know, it's hard. So we've got chapter two that we're going to look at. And so I'm trying to figure out, okay, well, you know, what piece of chapter two do I want to look at? And um, really what's going on is, is, is there's, there's this false teaching that's going on in the church. And so Paul is writing a letter to the Colossians, to the, to the church in Colossae. And he's, and he's telling them, uh, you know, he's trying to address this false teaching that's going on. And everywhere that you go and you read, you know, it's all these theologians debating over what the false teaching was that Paul was coming up against. And, you know, there's all different opinions and scholars get all worked up in a frenzy over what, you know, that false teaching would be. You know, theologians, theologians have died in this debate. No, they haven't, but they, they get really worked up over this idea of what was the false teaching that, that Paul was addressing. But and, I was, and as I'm going through it, I'm like, well, I don't know. If, if they don't know, what am I going to do? And I start to realize it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what the false teaching is. It matters what, what Paul says. Because Paul says, look, this is what's true. Whatever the false teaching is that's going on, this is what's true. This is how you need to live in a way so that when that false teaching comes against you, you'll be able to stand against it. You'll be able to know what's true. You'll be able to be transformed by God and not submit yourself to some 
crazy philosophy that's just not going to lead you to life. And so anyways, all of that, there's false teaching that's going on. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at just four verses from Colossians 2 that I believe Paul is addressing how we can, how we can deal with this, how we can combat hollow philosophies and thinking of the day that might come against us. And so let's take a look. This is from Colossians 2, starting in verse 6. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, just as you received him, just as when you first became a believer, when you first put your faith in Christ, just remember that, just that when you received him, just as you received him, don't start changing things up. Don't start mixing up. Just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in faith as you were taught, as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. The scripture, you know, you can tell he's, 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 man, you guys, you learned the truth about Jesus and it began a transformation in your life. Continue down that path. Continue to experience what you've experienced with him. Allow him to transform and to change you. Continue in the gospel that you received. Continue in the good news. You've received it. You know it. You know, this is one thing that's awesome about River City Church is that we always have new believers you know, like we're always, we do things like the life course and we're always bringing in people that, you know, they're brand new to their faith. And it's, you know, you have these funny conversations that you don't have with, with believers that have been walking for a long time. Like you're like, hey, dude, you, you want to go to lunch? Yeah, we should pray and find out where God wants us to go. You know, like they, and it's kind of, they're just so fired up. It's so new to them and they're just like, they're, they're, they're trying to soak it all up and yet it can be kind of annoying. But, but really, it's only annoying. It's only annoying because we've been walking so long that we've forgotten that initial passion that we had. You know what I mean? When we did want to pray about everything and we did see God behind every corner, behind anything that was happening, we just believed that, you know what? That's God, that's God because it's so new to us. And I believe that's what Paul is getting at as he's saying, just as you receive, just as you know, just as, as, as you first received the gospel, when it first began to transform you, don't forget it. Don't forget what you've come to know. And he goes on it, if, later on in the chapter, you know, he reminds them, and he does this in chapter one as well. It's a, it's a theme throughout the whole Colossians. He's reminding them, when you were dead, when you were dead in your sins, when there was nothing that you could have possibly done for yourself, you were like a dead person. Dead people don't do squat. You were like a dead person. You couldn't do anything. But what happened? God pursued you. God initiated with you. God was the one that saved you, that came into your life and brought change. He forgave you your sins. And he uses this, this, this uh, language where he, he basically says, you had a list of all of the junk that you have done and that you will do. And he took that list, that record of the wrongs, and he nailed it to the tree. He nailed it to the cross. It's gone. He's taking care of it. He's the one that's done that. That's the gospel. And Paul is going to repeat that over and over to try and remind them. Again, remember, they're dealing with some kind of false teaching, some things that are invading the church and affecting them. And he's like, don't forget what you initially believed. Don't forget the good news that you were dead in your transgressions. And Christ came and he nailed everything that, you could have, that you've done, that you will do, nailed it to the tree and it's dead, it's gone, you're forgiven and you, now, you, now you are alive in him. Man. That's awesome. When we were singing that song, you know, the whole idea of, of trampling over death by death. You know, we as a church, we like, that encouraged us, right? That brought us to a place of worship because we're remembering it wasn't about us. Christ is risen from the dead. We believe in a God who came in bodily form, 
that walked and he died and then he rose again. And from that place, that's the gospel. That's the good news. That's what brings change in our life. And Paul is saying, don't forget, continue to live in that place. And the language when he talks about, you know, live in him, it's this idea of walking about, experiencing it, letting it invade every area of your life, letting the gospel begin to penetrate all areas like your life. You are living in the gospel. It's, it's, it's living out in your life. The good news, continue in the gospel. And then he goes on in verse eight. See to it that no one takes you captive. See to it. Okay, th- this is one of the few times that I'm gonna say I like the King James better. Because the King, I don't, I'm not knocking the King James, but there's a lot of these and thous and that kind of stuff. But in the King James, it says, beware, beware. And I think that has a much better tone to what Paul is saying. He's saying, see to it, beware that no one takes you captive. Beware that no one takes you captive, that no one puts a hood over your head, puts you in darkness and carries you away. That's the language that he's using there. The idea of literally, it's the word for kidnapped, that you would be kidnapped, that you would be taken away. In chapter one, he talks about how you've been brought into the kingdom of light. You have been brought into the kingdom of the sun. You have come from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the sun. Don't be beware that someone may try to kidnap you and try to put you in darkness and carry you away. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of the world rather than on Christ. Believers, people within the church who are rescued by God's grace, they've been rescued from darkness, they've been brought into the light, and now they're threatened. There's there's an enemy that seeks to recapture them and enslave them once again to darkness into false teaching. That's what we see Paul dealing with. Beware, don't let, it, don't let it take you. It's reminiscent too of the language of Jesus when he said, beware the teachers of the law. Beware, look out. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees this, this, that works its way in just a little bit at a time, but it, but it begins to affect the way that you see life. And next thing you know, you don't see the gospel lived out in your life. You don't see the light anymore. And he goes on to say that, you know, these are hollow and deceptive philosophies that are based on tradition. They're based on the principles of the world. They sound good. They sound like, hey, you know, that, that's probably a good idea for us. But the leaders, and the leaders have all kinds of, you know, letters after their names, and they sound really smart. And, you know, it must be true because nobody else would give them a PhD, you know, like whatever. And he's saying, doesn't matter. Beware these hollow and deceptive philosophies. Beware these things that would come against um, what you've come to know. And the point, you know, the the point isn't that tradition is bad. The point isn't that uh, philosophy is bad, that, that going to school isn't bad. That's not what he's saying. But what he's saying is you need to be careful. You need to be careful that they may come against the, the light that you've received in the kingdom of God, the way that you've received it, the, what you've learned to be true about Jesus. And we'll see an example in just a second. I was thinking about for my own life, you know, like uh, I was, uh, I, I was a tween. I don't know what I was. I was a tween and I went to, with my cousin, he took me to his church and uh, you know, I, I didn't go to church as soon as I could get out. I, I didn't want to go. And, uh, but he had to go. And so I had to go with him. And I remember we went up for a communion. I was like, whatever, I'll go up. So I go up and, you know, hold my hand out. And this girl, the, the, the girl that was doing communion, 
lady, woman, sorry. Um, I mean, she was about to have a cow. Like, like I just taught Tommy that, have a cow. Um, she was, she was going to throw a fit. I held my hand out. And she, she was like offended. Now, granted, now keep in mind, you need, to, you need to have the full picture. All right, I'm a tween. Most likely I have a rat tail at this point. Right? I, I, might, I might be wearing my members only jacket and a lightning bolt t-shirt. I probably had pegs in my pants because that's how I roll. And so I go up and I hold my hand out and she, man, she reaches out and she grabs my hand and she like puts the right hand over the left. She tells me right over the left, you know, holds it out. And I'm like freaked out. Like I've, I've not experienced that before. And I think that was the last time I had communion until, you know, years later when I became a believer. But, but for her, it was so important the tradition of how you do this, of how you, you hold out your hand to receive communion. It was so important. And honestly, I think some of her joy was robbed. <laughs> you know, she couldn't have enjoyed, she probably told me, and you wouldn't believe this punk with a rat tail and a members only jacket and held his hand out, you know, like she did not enjoy the fact that some tween was receiving commun- communion. Think about the word. You are coming to be with Christ. You are coming to be in communion with him. And, and here's this, this hollow and deceptive philosophy that says if you don't hold your hands correctly, then you really can't participate in this thing. Paul is saying, beware. Beware these traditions. Beware the sacred cows in your life that, man, they rob you of your joy. They rob you of the gospel that you initially received. Our culture is filled with hollow and deceptive philosophies. There's, there's all kinds of ways of thinking that are trying to work their way into the church. There's all kinds of ways of thinking that come against what we initially believe in the gospel. Just, you know, some of them that I, was, I just jotted down a bunch, like all religions are true. All religions are true. It sounds so good. It sounds so nice. Oh, can't we all just get along? Who is that? Rod, what's his name? Rodney? Rodney King. Rodney King, can't we all just get along? It sounds so nice. You know, all religions are true. All paths lead to the same place. That's fine, but that doesn't jive with the Jesus who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus comes, and and, and it doesn't jive with this hollow philosophy, which will ultimately not lead you to life. It will not bring a life-giving experience. Jesus was just a good teacher. You know, oh, Jesus was just a good teacher. Paul would say, he came and died and then rose again. Resurrection. He's, there's something obviously bigger going on here. That is a philosophy that if you subscribe to, you will miss out on a portion of who Jesus is. You will miss out on the, on the divinity and the work that he has accomplished for you. The one I think, there's a, there's a bunch of books out right now, which, which is great. Shane, Clay, Claire, Shane Claiborne, is that right? And uh, David Platt, Radical. These books that are dealing with the American Jesus. And this is one that's really hit our church, that's hit, that has really affected our church, is this idea of Jesus, you know, have you ever seen a picture of Jesus with the AK-47, the USA t-shirt, sipping a Starbucks, you know, wearing a Vote Republican button? You know, this idea that somehow Jesus is this American God, and that we, we have this American dream, you know, that, that, that we follow. It's all about, you know, working and making Money and, you know, this capitalism. Jesus was a capitalist. Jesus was a Democrat. Jesus was a Republican. What we've done is we've, we've, we've tried to pigeonhole Jesus and, and it's penetrated the church. And so it's hard to even separate the political side of what's going on in the real Jesus. 
And it's impacted our church. And so there's these books that are now addressing, wait a minute, can we take a step back of what we as a church have believed over, over time? Is it really from Jesus? Is it founded on Jesus or is it founded on something else? Because ultimately that's what it comes down to. Ultimately, a philosophy, a way of thinking that isn't grounded, the foundation isn't on Christ, it's ultimately going to fail. It's ultimately going to come up empty. If we want to experience freedom, think about that. Jesus comes to bring freedom. When he sets out, that's when I'm, I'm here to set the captives free. The language of Jesus. He didn't come to give us rules and regulations. The right, that came through Moses. He says the law came through Moses. But Jesus came to bring grace, to bring truth, to show us the way. Paul deals You know, those are just examples from our culture. Those are just examples of philosophies that float around and that we as a church need to be able to answer. We as a church need to be able to understand and comprehend. Does that belong in the church? Does that belong here? And it's hard. It's hard to be out of step with culture. It's hard to be out of step with the people around us. We want to be liked. We want Jesus to be cool. We want, you know... But there will be times when we have to make a stand as a church and say, no, this is Jesus. This is what it looks like. This is who Jesus is. How do we protect the church? How do we do that? And so Paul is making this point, I believe, in this, in this scripture. He's like, any philosophy which depends on things, insert human tradition, basic principles of the world, whatever you want, anything that is built on something other than on Christ will ultimately fail, will ultimately do more harm than good. Any philosophy that is not based on Christ. And he goes into one specific example, which I just want to talk about briefly. Later on in Colossians 2, he says, Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regards to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. He's basically making the point, because, you know, we get a little glimpse of what he's dealing with where one of the, the, the cultures that's influencing the church is that you have to do certain things. You have to observe certain holidays. You have to eat or drink or not eat or not drink certain things to be able to be godly, to be able to be in relationship with God. And he's saying, no, don't let, that, don't let them judge you for that. Don't live, don't succumb to that. Don't give in, don't be captured by this hollow philosophy. And it's very similar in our day and age of religion, this idea that it's about what you do. We spend so much time working on, you know, the things that you should do or you shouldn't do. And, you know, we're a religion-free church. River City Church, we're religion-free, right? So what we say is, you know, we're not going to focus on that. We're going to focus on your relationship with God. We're not going to focus on trying to clean up the outside of the cup, you know, working on all those things. Instead, we're going to focus on relationship with him. But what's funny is that Paul's scripture is just as applicable for us as a religion-free church as anybody else. Because basically what he's saying is don't judge people based on what they do. Don't judge people based on what they do. Judge them based on the gospel. In other words, based on the work of Christ. And so we as a church, you know, we can be like, oh, look at us. We're not legalists. We have no religion. We're religion free. Look at those fools over there. They think they have to go do this and they have to do that. We're just as guilty of what Paul is talking about. He's like, look, it's about Jesus. The foundation of the gospel is based on Jesus. And so those fools over there are just as loved and pursued by God as you. And you know what? They are just as saved and just as a part of the community of God as you are. The words of Paul from Colossians resonate with us as a church just as much as it did with them. 
Jesus is the foundation of what we believe. Jesus is the foundation of our righteousness. Jesus is the one that has set us free. Beware, beware any philosophy which doesn't have the person and the work of Jesus Christ as the foundation. Okay, the next verse. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives. For in Christ, all the fullness of God lives in bodily form, in a physical form, in actual flesh and bud, blood. <laughs> bud. He was a bud too, buddy Jesus. Um, you could have reached out and touched him. He was physical. And you, you believers, you people that have put your faith in Christ, you have been given fullness in Christ who is the head over every power and authority. There is no power, no authority that is over him. This is really, this is really significant. Now, you you need to do the life course. If you haven't done the life course, you need to do the life course, okay? Because there's this super important point that I'm not sure I ever really get across in the life course. But it's, think about this. Follow me on this. This book, this letter was written to the church within like 30, 40 years 30 or 40 years of Jesus' death and resurrection. Okay? And you're like, well, why is that significant? The church wasn't the church. You know what I mean? It wasn't like we had this big organized church at this point. You know what I mean? Because everybody's always like, oh, well, Christianity changed over the years and it was formed and da, da, da. It's just not true. You can say that, but it wasn't a bunch of priests that got around in the year 400 and said, oh yeah, Jesus was God. Oh yeah, Trinity, that's an awesome thing. This is within 30 or 40 years of the resurrection that Paul is saying, guys, don't forget, Jesus was a fullness of God in bodily form. He was fully God and fully man. That is huge and significant. It's it's, specifically, it's significant for them because of the false teaching that they were dealing with. Obviously, there was some element of it that they did not believe that Jesus was physical, that maybe he was some kind of, you know, float, above the ground spiritual being. And he's saying, no, the fullness of God was in him and it was in a bodily form that he came. For us, I think it's significant because we need to know that the scriptures are true and we need to know that it wasn't years and years later that we came up with this idea of, uh, of who God is. All right, back to the scripture. I'm sorry. See, I get caught up in stuff like that, but I love that. I love apologetics. I love the, uh, you know, looking at why do we believe the things that we believe? Asking the questions. You know, talk about human traditions, you know. Go into a, go into a Bible study where you don't know the people and just ask the question, hey, why do we believe Jesus was God? They might kill you. <laughs> what? They might. Because it's such a hard question. You can't ask that question. Why? Well, you just can't. It's what we believe. I love to ask those questions. Okay. He is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, fully God, fully man. And so Paul is making this point and he does it over and over through the letter to the Colossians where he's trying to make this point that, that, that Jesus is above all authority, that he is God. There is no spiritual authority above him. There is nothing on, on earth or in heaven above him. Consider what that means for us. Consider that in light of what the gospel means, that Jesus has come and done this for us. I, I, I think you can sum it up like this. Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. Derek said last week, you know, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. I like that. I like that. It's Jesus plus nothing is everything because Jesus is everything. It doesn't matter what you add to it. 
And so we in the church, you know, we have this bait and switch sometimes. We're like, hey, come know Jesus. He's awesome. He's your bud. All you have to do is, you know, say this prayer and come and whatever. But then when they become Christians, what do we do? We're like, okay, all right, now you need to go to church. Yeah, every Sunday. I know, I know, you got to do it. And you need to stop doing this. And you need to start doing this. You know, we come up with this list. It's this bait and switch. And really what we're saying is, well, yeah, yeah, Jesus, yeah, Jesus had to die for you. But then you also, yeah, you need, you need to do this too. Right, yeah, you need to, you need to read your Bible. Yeah, you need, you need to go to church. Right, well, otherwise, Jesus doesn't really love you. You know, like, well, what happened to all that Jesus stuff you had before? I want that. We have to be careful that we're not adding to it. Jesus is enough. And we as a church have to be comfortable with that. Jesus is enough. He's the one. He's the initiator. These false teachers, we know one thing, and they were trying to insert a barrier between the people of God and God. And Paul is coming against that. And he's talking about, man, look at the person of Jesus. He is the one that's worth our worship. There is no authority above him. So if anybody comes and tells you anything that does not jibe with Jesus, He's the authority. He's the one that you need to go to. And this last thing I just want to say, you know, as I was, as I was really praying and thinking through this, this um, talk, there was one thing that I kept coming up to. You know, these false teachers are trying to, to put this barrier there. They're trying to say, you need something else beyond Jesus. You need, you need Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. We love Jesus. He's awesome. But you also need to stop eating this food or you need to start eating this food or you need to start having a these celebrations. You need to participate in this feast. You need to do this thing. They come up with this litany of things that have to, have to happen. And what they're really doing is they're putting barriers between people and God. The exact opposite of what Jesus did. Jesus came to remove any obstacle from us to be able to be in relationship with him, to be able to worship him. And so I just, I want to close with this. And this is Paul in his letter to the church in Rome, he says this, I am convinced, I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And this morning, I want you to hear that. I want you to know that there is nothing. When you come to Jesus, there's no thing that you can do There's no thing that somebody can tell you. There's no thing that somebody can do to you. There is nothing that can separate you from the love of God that has been shown to us in Christ Jesus. That's the gospel that you initially heard and received. That's the good news is that it's not about us. We were dead. Not a lot of responsibility for a dead person. God was the one that initiated and did it. Let me pray for us and just ask that God would would make this come alive in us, that we would be set free. Lord, we... Thank you for your word. And we thank you for the way that you love us and the way that you've pursued us. And we pray that you would help us in the areas where maybe we have succumbed to hollow or deceptive philosophies. God, that we would not be robbed of joy, that we would be able to experience it, that we would be able to, to, to go back to that place of initial love and joy that we had when we received the gospel. And for those of us this morning, maybe who have never made that commitment because we didn't think we could, because we thought we had to get to a certain place before we could even say a prayer, even ask Jesus to change our lives. Lord, I pray right now for that truth that there is nothing that can separate us. For those that have never prayed before for you to come, I pray for them right now that you would give them strength and courage to be able to invite you. Come in and bring change and restore In Jesus' name, amen.